Good morning. My name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors here. This is the, the second Sunday of the Easter season. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. So it's fitting that the week after that we would talk about what happened after that. This passage in Matthew that I just read is often called the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is seen as one of the passages about the mission of the church and the mission of God's people. So you have to ask yourself, how can this great commission, this instruction from Jesus to the first leaders of his church, how can this have any relevance for us at a time when we can't go to all nations, when we can't gather as a church, when we can't even go to visit our neighbors? Does discipleship wait until this is over? Do we, does the Great Commission just press the pause button until COVID-19 is dealt with? Let me pray for our time together as we open God's word. Father, we know that you are sovereign over all things. We know that you have appointed all things to work together for your purpose. I pray that you would use this time in your scriptures today to to illumine our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet and our mouths, that we would be strengthened and equipped um, with clear eyes to, to be a people on mission for you. Amen. At Easter, we heard the story about the women. Today, we hear the story about the guards. If we back up a few verses to the, st- to the start of chapter 28, we see two groups of people who were with the angel as he rolled away the stone and sat on it, the women and the guards. And the guards are shaking with fear. But the angel turns to the women. The angel doesn't try to comfort the guards. He just turns to the women and he says, Jesus is risen just like he said he would. Now go tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee just like he said he would. Off you go. And the women run back and they tell the story. And so we pick up today in verse 11. While they were going, that is while the the women were going back to tell the disciples, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went back to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So we can assume that they told exactly what they saw. Blinding flash of light, angel comes down, rolls the stone away, sits on it. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole the body away while we were asleep. And if this comes back to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and we will keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And that story has been spread spread among the Jews to this day. So the women, the women run back into town and they tell the story. Jesus is risen, just like he said. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And the guards, too, they run back into town, and they try to tell the story. Well, actually, they did tell the story. They found the the Jewish authorities, the chief priests, the elders of the temple, and they told the story. But the chief priests and the elders didn't want to hear it. In fact, they said, that story doesn't fit in with our worldview. That story doesn't match our version of how things are supposed to go. So, here's some money. Why don't you change your story 
to fit our story? Why don't you change your narrative to fit our worldview? We'll make it worth your while. Just, just go along with us. And your life is going to get better. Here's some money. Everything's going to be fine. So with these two different pictures of people telling the story about God, Jesus gathers his disciples together in Galilee on a mountain. This was in all likelihood the same mountain where, where the Sermon on the Mount was given, all the way back at the beginning of Matthew, where Jesus gives his disciples a picture of what the kingdom of heaven really looked like. And now, now Jesus calls his disciples back together, and he says six really important things in just a very few sentences. One, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Two, therefore go. Three, make disciples of all nations. Four, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Five, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, six, I am with you always to the end of the age. I really wish that we had two hours to really get into this and go over all of it, but we don't. So we'll look at each of these six things briefly. One, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If that statement is true, then we should probably pay really close attention to whatever he says next. Now, we need to state there has never been a time where Jesus wasn't God. He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. So, Jesus already has authority. He has sovereignty. He is the creator. And yet, the New Testament says in many places in the epistles that after the resurrection, that his kingly identity, that his divine kingship took on a a deeper and richer meaning. Jesus was the firstborn of the new creation, breaking into this dark and needy world. Jesus was the kingdom of heaven breaking into the kingdom of earth. And much like any other royal news of a new king being crowned, the news had to be spread. It had to be shared. So that's the grounding reality, the underlying truth that all the other commands that he's about to give are based on. So, number one, all authority belongs to Jesus. Therefore, number two, go. Go. There's, there's a, a quality of sentness to God's people throughout the Bible and throughout the history of the church. Now, does this mean that, does Jesus' command mean that every single one of us needs to run out to the mission field? Yes, it actually does. But it really depends on how we are defining the mission field. If Jesus wants us to go into all nations and make disciples, that includes the nation that you find yourself in right now. And so that mission field can be the soccer field that your kid plays on with other kids. It can be the field in your backyard that you share with your neighbor. Your mission field can be your office or your street that you live on. The mission field is all of God's kingdom. And he, in his sovereignty and his providence, put you right where he wants you. And he has given you a mission. So when he says, go, it does mean spread out. But it also means fully envelop where you are. Okay, so what does that mean for us right now? How are we supposed to go in this moment that we find ourselves in when we can't go anywhere? Is the Great Commission on pause while we wait out this pandemic? No. Reports are that during the COVID-19 time, that phone calls, something that has been going down for years, phone calls are actually going up. Anecdotally, people are reporting that old relationships that have kind of fizzled are being rekindled as people call and check in on each other. 
And there are people in my life who I've been having phone calls with for the first time in years. And I know right now that they don't know the good news about King Jesus. So in this time, we can't go to the mission field, but the mission field is coming right to us. And what are we supposed to do? Well, that's number three. Make disciples. This is Jesus' command. A, a disciple is a follower, an imitator, an apprentice. For most of human history, and still in some vocations today, the, the discipleship model or the apprentice model is how you learn something. It's how you learned in school. It's how you learned a trade or a craft or an art form. You would follow along, watch, ask questions, imitate, grow deeper in relationship with the expert, and you grow deeper in knowledge of the thing that he's teaching you. And part of that apprenticeship model is the ability to apprentice others. The model is sometimes called see one, do one, teach one. It's the end goal of any discipleship. That's what Jesus wants because that's how the kingdom is spread. And that's where real life is found, in relationship. We're not commanded, we are commanded to go into the world and make disciples of Jesus. Not to make pals or friends, not even to make converts or believers. Handing someone a tract is not making a disciple. Jesus doesn't want mere believers. There's a a passage in James chapter 2 where James writes, oh, you believe that there's one God. Well, okay, good for you, but even the demons believe that. So the question is, what are, you, what are you doing with that belief? How is that belief in Jesus shaping your life? A disciple lives out that belief by trying to follow Jesus. And that's how Jesus grows his church. And that brings us to number four and five baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Every single disciple of Christ is part of Christ's church. And the primary two ways that God ministers to his people and grows his church in further discipleship is by word and sacrament, by teaching and baptizing. We baptize them into the church and they are fed and matured with the word of God and with the Lord's Supper. They are fed and matured with the word of God, with the whole word of God, frequently and routinely. This kind of harkens back to something that Sam was preaching on a couple weeks ago from the Shema, from the big command in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So when do disciples talk about the things of God and about God's goodness to his people? All the time. We teach the next generation of Christians. We talk about them when we lie down and when we rise up and when we walk down the road. The, the roots of Jesus' great commission are in this Shema from Deuteronomy 6, except now... Now the audience has changed because the idea of the people of God is about to be exploded outward. God's chosen people was Israel. And now Israel has been opened wide to draw in anybody who follows Jesus. But, but this was the plan all along. Look at passages like our Old Testament reading in Isaiah 49. 
Israel itself was made to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be living in such a radically different way from the people around them that their neighbors would see them and say, what do they know that we don't? They were called to be a blessing to their neighbors and to the world. And that's what the church is. The church is the light of the world, called to be a blessing to the world for the life of the world. In every era, in every place on earth, there are opportunities to spread the gospel. And in every era, in every place on earth, there are going to be elements of the gospel of the kingdom of God that are very attractive to people. And there are going to be elements of the gospel of the kingdom of God that are very repellent to people. But the story stays the same because the truth stays the same. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. And God calls his people to live lives that are pleasing to him. And Jesus' final message here in Matthew is a call to pass on that teaching. Some elements of it will be very attractive to some people, and some elements of it will be very repellent to some people. Some people will find the idea very repellent that I can't be my own boss, that I don't get to be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. Of course I get to set my own rules. Why wouldn't I? There's a scene in the TV show Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson is approached by a cop for holding a picnic in a public park, and he says, no, 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 it's okay, I have a permit. And he hands the cop a piece of paper, and just on the paper is typed, I get to do what I want, Ron Swanson. And it's really funny. And some people want to live that way. I want to live that way. But King Jesus says otherwise. Some people will find the idea repellent, that they need to actively put aside sinful desires and instead pursue holiness. Why can't I just do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anyone? I mean, the people who wrote the Bible were in another time and another place, and they aren't nearly as smart or advanced or enlightened as we are today. So morals change and advance, and whatever they wrote might have been fine for their time, but we know better now. But, but no, no, King Jesus says, no, I have called you to live your life in a certain way. Some people, when we spread that message, some people are going to find that repellent. Some people will find the idea that I need to put other people's needs before my own really repellent. So if someone asks me for a shirt, I'm actually supposed to give them my shirt and my coat as well. But they didn't work for that shirt. I did. How about they work and get their own shirt and I'll keep working and get another shirt for me because if I give them my shirt, what am I supposed to wear? Jesus says over and over that actually following his commandments is hard. He says that small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. He says that we are going to suffer when we follow him. And following all that he commands can be really hard. Even in a, in a relatively cushy time and place like this one. Following the commands of Jesus is genuinely dangerous in a place like China or North Korea or Iran, where following Jesus can literally cost you your life. But following Jesus here is hard too, although admittedly in a less visceral or physical way. No, following Jesus here for us can be like being one of the guards by Jesus's tomb. We see the truth and we want to tell the truth. 
But maybe those around us are going to say, hey, you can say what you saw, but it's going to go better for you if you say that you saw something different. Now, here's some money. Go away. Go get yourself something nice. Keep it to yourself. So, Jesus begins his address to his disciples with an underlying truth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he ends, he ends with number six, with an unbreakable promise. Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And the great thing is we, get, we know what the end of the age is. We know what it looks like. We heard it in our passage in Revelation. After this, I looked up and behold a great multitude that none, that none could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a picture of the church, of all the disciples ever streaming into the throne room of God. These are all the disciples that the other disciples have ever made. This assembly of God's people in front of God's throne, praising God's name, this is the result of go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus was with his church on that mountain in Galilee. And Jesus is with his church today. And Jesus will be with his church at the end of the age. It says so right there in Revelation. For the Lamb, the Lamb, that's Jesus. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So Jesus begins with a statement of authority and he ends with an unbreakable promise that he will always be with us. I want to end by circling back to a phrase in our Matthew text that I have completely skipped over until now. Verse 17. It's a phrase that seems kind of tacked on and it has given interpreters fits over the years. But I want to mention it because it can often, people can kind of bump on it and and make them go, wait, what? It's not the main point of the passage by any stretch. But did you hear when, when I said, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Some doubted. Doubted what? Doubted who? There's no clear or obvious answer for this. But consider this. Those disciples who had been following Jesus were now in the physical presence of the resurrected Christ, He was very much dead on Friday, and by Sunday morning, he was very much alive. And now they were literally with him. And yet, some doubted. What did they doubt? Well, fortunately for us, this isn't the only account of disciples doubting the resurrected Christ. At the end of the Gospel of John, the disciple named Thomas doubted that the Lord had even risen. He wasn't with them the first time Jesus appeared to them. So even though his trusted brother disciples told him that Jesus had had risen, he said, you know, unless I see the marks on his hands from where the nails were driven in, and unless I get to place my hand into the side where the spear went in, I won't believe that he's been physically resurrected. So when Jesus does show up to him, Jesus says, look, put your finger in the nail hole in my hand. Put your hand into the spear wound on my side. It's really me. And Thomas falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. So here in Matthew, something kind of similar. The disciples gather in Galilee and they see the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. And they fell down to worship. 
but some doubted. But did Jesus kick them out? No. Did Jesus say, these instructions that I'm about to give you are only for those guys over here who didn't doubt. They're not for you who did doubt. No. Jesus gives his command to all of his people. Every Christian, or at least every Christian that I've ever met, has had times of doubt in their lives, including me. We don't know which of the apostles in Matthew did, but we do know for a fact from John that Thomas did. And although it's not described in the Bible, if you believe church history, it's said that Thomas, doubting Thomas, took Jesus' great commission so seriously that he spread the gospel across the Middle East and all the way to India. So I want you to remember that the next time that you have doubts. Never for a second think that wrestling with doubt means that God will not use you for his mission and to grow his kingdom. On the contrary, actually being honest about your doubts can sometimes open a door to a conversation. You can try to, you can try to hide that doubt and you can let Satan weaponize it and use it against you or you can bring it out into the light and ask God to redeem it. So this is one of the tasks of the church. This mission, this great commission that Jesus has given. The church both as an institution, as a collective, and each of us as individuals. All of us together, each of us individually, we get to make disciples. That's not just big flashy gatherings where thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. Because you can make converts in really large numbers. But it's hard to make disciples in large numbers. Discipling people is usually done in the least efficient way possible. One-on-one or at most, a handful of people. Real Christian maturity, the kind that discipleship brings, real Christian maturity is incremental and it is slow. And so even at a time of social distancing, discipling is still happening. And you get to be a part of that. My prayer for us this week is that we would grow as disciples and that we would grow in making disciples. Seek it out. The opportunities are there. Trust that King Jesus has authority and is with you always, and go.